This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Bible turn to Romans chapter 2 this morning. Uh, if you have the Who We Call a mobile app, you can also take notes that way if you want to do things uh, that way, whatever you do. Just take, take really good notes because uh, you're going to need to refer back to them. If you're missing the message so far, you can get caught up on the Who We Call app or through the uh, podcast, wherever you get podcasts at. Um, I want to encourage you to stay caught up on this series. We're going verse by verse through the book of Romans. We started at the beginning of this year. We're almost a year in and we're really, really close. I mean, really close to finishing chapter 2. I'm just, I'm just saying, we're making really good progress. And so uh, here's the thing. Romans is so packed with good stuff. We don't want to skip anything or gloss over anything. So we're taking some really good time and getting through this. Uh, the next two Sundays, we're going to finish out chapter number two. So I want to encourage you to uh, be here for that. Uh, if this is your first time at Hui Kala, let me say thank you for joining us uh, today. We're delighted to have you as our guest. Uh, if you're looking for a church home, best church on the island. You've already found it. No need to look any further. I might be biased, but it doesn't mean that I'm wrong. And so just a, a thought, I'm going to throw that out there for you. But no, seriously, we're glad that you're here with us, uh, worshiping Jesus with us today. Uh, and so thanks for being here. Romans chapter 2, we're going to start in verse number, uh, I think we're going to start in verse number 17, just to give us a, uh, some context of what we're looking at. Really, verses 21 through 24, specifically verse number 24 is what we're looking at today. Just to give you a little bit of context, Paul's writing to the church at Rome. He's never visited their church before, so he's uh, writing a letter to a church he's never visited uh, to uh, just share with them, hey, I'm excited about coming there. I can't wait to preach the gospel. Uh, verse number, uh, starting verse number 18 of chapter 1, he begins to talk about our need for the gospel and how without Jesus and setting God to the side, we devolve into paganism and idolatry. Then he kind of switches gears chapter 2 and begins to write to the Jewish believers uh, that are there at the Church of Rome. And the Jews kind of felt like they got a special pass from God because they had a, a previous existing covenant with God and they felt like they were better than everybody else. And, and Paul kind of puts them in their place and calls them back to reality, if you will, in chapter number 2. And then as we get into verse number 17, Paul really begins to stick it to them, if you will, because he says to them, hey, you guys are asking other people to live at a standard that you yourself are not living at. And he calls out their hypocrisy. And so I'm entitled today's message, How Hypocrisy Hurts. Uh, and let me just say this today. Today's message is, is going to be one of those that might be difficult for some of you to hear. And if that's the case, uh, whenever the Holy Spirit brings conviction to our heart, don't run from that. That's a really healthy thing. Uh, because we should always examine our hearts in light of what does the Bible say, always. And so if it tastes a little bit uncomfortable, just kind of work through it and stick it out with me. I promise you'll be better as a result of it. Romans chapter 2, we're going to start in verse number 17 this morning. Behold, thou art called a Jew, and resteth in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. And art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, and a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which hast the form of knowledge, and of the truth in the law. Verse 21, Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? Verse 24 is a really heavy verse, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. Several years ago, Angel and I had uh, gone to lunch with uh, a couple that we were trying to get to know and kind of hearing their story about how they met, how they got married, and what they're interested in, what kind of work he did, and things along those lines. You know, kind of things you were trying to get to know somebody, and, uh, you know, I asked them, you know, what they enjoyed doing for, for fun or to relax and stuff like that, and they said, oh, we found a really great show on Netflix we've been watching. It is absolutely hilarious. We've watched, like, the first three seasons of it. It's so good. And, man, 
I'm always up for a good laugh and a good way to waste some time. I don't have a lot of time to waste, but when I do, I want to do it well. And so I asked them, hey, what's the name of the show? And they said, well, I don't know that it's a good show for pastors to watch, uh, but we thought it was funny. And I said, oh. I said, well, is it a good show for non-pastors to watch? And they said, well, probably not a show that Christians should watch, but it's really, really funny. And I said, oh, I said, are you guys Christians? They said, well, yeah, but, mm, okay. And I could tell they got really uncomfortable. And I, I don't like making people feel uncomfortable, so I kind of just changed the subject. But I thought that was funny. Christians shouldn't watch this show, but we're Christians. Um, we probably shouldn't have watched it, but it's so funny instead. And that's kind of the problem that Paul says here is the problem with the Jews at the church at Rome. Hey, committing adultery, yeah, that's wrong for sure, but... <laughs> you're actually committing adultery. You're saying that people shouldn't steal, which is correct, but you're stealing. You don't like idols. That's bad. Everybody agrees that idols are bad, but your life is a sacrilegious life. Uh, You're trying to teach everybody else what to do, but you haven't even begun to teach yourself yet. And so we see what we took a look at last week. We have what we know about the Bible and how we live, and sometimes there's this massive disconnect between the two. I know what the Bible says, but then I know how I live, and they don't always see eye to eye. And the problem when we do that is multitude, but one of the major issues that comes out with that is we want to hold people to a standard that we're not willing to meet ourselves. And so when it comes to good and evil, God sets the standard for what's good and what's evil. Uh, the Bible. Uh, so that, that determines good, bad, uh, and otherwise. God's given us his word so that we can know him and what he expects of us. Again, we saw in Romans chapter 1, we see general revelation. God's revealed himself unto all men uh, so that they're without excuse. Everybody knows that there is a God But it requires the Word of God to show us what God requires of us, what God expects from us, how to make things right with God. He reveals that in His Word. Because good and evil are subjective terms if we don't have a universal standard. So, again, we might say that we are good people. I think most of us would like to think, I'm a pretty good person. Good compared to what? Good compared to someone who is, you know, a multiple-time felon and locked up in a penitentiary, you might be good compared to them. Good compared to your neighbor who maybe doesn't go to church or doesn't do nice things for other people. Are you good according to God's standard of perfection? I think all of us would fall short at that point. Are you good based on what American morality and culture says? Uh, That bar continues to get lower and lower and lower year by year. Are are you good based on a, a, a culture maybe in the Middle East somewhere? What is good and evil if we don't have a standard that everyone must meet? And so we as Bible believing Christians say that our universal standard is the Word of God. Amen. The Bible sets our standard. Uh, now, you might not agree with the Bible, doesn't matter, it's the standard. Uh, there might be parts of the Bible that you like, that you dislike, doesn't matter, it's the standard for right and wrong universally. Uh, we were in Korea two weeks ago and had the opportunity to go through the gospel with a, a man who's not a Christian, and um, he said, you know, I, I, I believe in God, I believe that there's something out there, I'm not really sure what it is, and went through the gospel with him, and, and I said, you know, I said, well, what do you use to determine what's right or what's wrong? And he says, well, you know, kind of, the way that I view the world and the way that I view life and kind of the way that I feel about things. And I said, have your feelings ever changed before? And he kind of laughed. He was like, well, yeah, of course. Right. That's why we can't allow ourselves to be led by our feelings because our feelings are subject to change. The things that I thought were really important 20 years ago, 20 years later, really aren't that all that important to me at all. Because my priorities change over time. We need something that is a standard for everyone that never changes. And that must be the Word of God. So again, if it's not the Bible, what is it? And that's my question for people that say, well, I don't really believe in God or I don't subscribe to the ideas behind the Bible. Okay, what is your standard for objective truth across the board for everyone? 
And again, we've kind of come into a thing in the last probably decade or so where it's really pushed. This is, a, a, this is not a new thing uh, for us as Americans, but it's new again in our society, the idea of subjective truth. Well, that's true for you, but it's not true for me. Uh, that might be your truth, or uh, we're going to give her the opportunity to speak her truth. But uh, again, we can have differing versions of truth. Um, I think it was at uh, some point in the, the previous presidential election where we had the term alternative facts, uh, as if we can like have a different version of the facts. Uh, the truth is what it is. There's not an alternative version of the truth. Uh, it just kind of is what it is. And the Bible for us as Bible-believing Christians must be that standard. The Bible says in Romans chapter 7, verse number 7. Now, don't read it ahead too far in the book of Romans. uh, By our current projection, we're going to get to Romans chapter 7 in 2025, okay? So don't get ahead and read too far in Romans, all right? But in Romans chapter 7, verse number 7, it says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Is it a sin for God to give us rules? No, it's not. Paul says, I had not known sin but by the law, for I had not known lust except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. I didn't know that I was wrong until the Word of God told me that I was wrong. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. You're all law-abiding citizens, so it probably hasn't. But I've been pulled over before by a police officer that says, do you know how fast you were going? And I realized, I don't even know what the speed limit is here. So if I wanted to lie, I wouldn't even know what lie to tell, right? Because I'm unsure of the boundaries for where I'm at. That's what Paul's saying. The law, God's word, showed me what the boundaries were and let me know that I had stepped outside of the bounds. And it showed me that I was wrong. So again, we have to have something that is a guidebook for everyone that we must adhere to. Now, the question comes, if God gives us a rule book and and rules to follow, can Christians judge sin in the lives of others? Now, the majority of people that are either carnal Christians or are not Christians generally know one verse from the Bible. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1, judge not, dot, 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 right? Well, the Bible says you shouldn't judge, so you can't tell me that I'm wrong. Is that an accurate statement? Can Christians call sin what it is? Can we say that a man that leaves his wife for another woman and marries her commits adultery? Can we say that, or is that judging someone else's sin? Because didn't Jesus say, judge not? Then that becomes a question, like, can we even call sin what it is, or should we just keep our mouth shut and mind our own business? The question then becomes, is it unloving to point out sin in the lives of others? Is it wrong to say, hey, what this person has done is a sin? Is that unloving? If we're supposed to love our neighbors, shouldn't we just love them and encourage them, even when they're making terrible decisions and making uh, poor life choices? Shouldn't we just love them and encourage them, and eventually they'll see Jesus in us, and we don't have to call out their sin? Is that a loving thing to do? To find out what love looks like, there's no better way to find out what love looks like than to look at the gospel. First of us, all all of us have sinned, all of us. So to say to my neighbor, to my coworker, to the guy across the street, to somebody that I just met, hey, you've sinned against God and broken his law, I'm not accusing him of anything that I myself have not done. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that hath understanding. There's none that seeketh after God. Hey, friend, you've broken God's law, and I have too. You've sinned against God, and I have as well. Is it unloving to tell someone that they've sinned against God? If the gospel is a message of God's love for us, can we appropriately communicate God's love without, quote, judging someone else's sin or life choices? The truth is our sin has earned us God's punishment, Sin has earned us a place in hell. That's what we deserve. We sometimes think that heaven is for good people and hell is for bad people. I agree with 50% of that statement. Hell is for bad people. And here's the bad news. We are the bad people. We deserve it. God says, you break my law, you're going to die and go to hell. That's what we deserve. I don't have any excuses And again, it would be one thing if like, hey, I broke God's law that one time when I was in third grade. I didn't know any better. 
But that's not the case at all. I broke God's law this past week. And I don't have any excuses for it. I knew what I was doing was wrong, but I chose to sin anyways. I don't have an excuse. I've broken God's law not once or twice, but again and again and again. I'm a habitual sinner. I was created with sin nature. I can't get away from that. And because of that, my sin has earned me a place in hell. Here's the good news about the gospel, though, is that Jesus has paid the price for my sin. One of the most beautiful verses in all the Bible, Romans chapter 5, verse number 8, but God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, I was supposed to die for my sin, but Jesus became my sin and died in my place. I was supposed to be punished by God, but Jesus became my sin and was punished by God. I was supposed to endure the wrath of God because of my sin, God's righteous anger and judgment. But Jesus endured that on the cross for my sin and for yours. And so anyone who would come to Jesus in faith and repentance will be saved. Faith and repentance will save us from our sin. But you have to realize that you've sinned first. You've got to realize that you've been wrong. And that's, that's the rub sometimes, right? I don't want to admit that I've done anything wrong. I shared the gospel with my grandfather one time before he passed away. And he sat very attentively and listened. He was an alcoholic his whole life. He had broken his hip and was in a care home and had been without alcohol for a month or so. And it was the first time I've ever seen him sober in my life. And so I thought, man, I'm going to jump on this opportunity. I'm going to share the gospel with him. And sat down, went through the gospel. He listened intently. And I got to the end. And I said, would you like to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? And he said to me, I don't know that I've done anything in my life that requires anybody's forgiveness. And I was just like, really? Like, can, can you honestly believe that? And he could not be convinced that he had ever done anything wrong. If that's the case, you don't need a Savior because you are already good enough uh, to make your way to heaven. The Bible says nobody's good enough. And so there must be a time for you, friend, where you've come to a place of recognition that I need to know Jesus Christ as Savior. I need him to forgive my sin. I believe that he's the only way to heaven. You must be born again. Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse number 3, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Do you know for sure that you've been born again? Born again isn't some weird mystical experience where you get goosebumps or you see lights or you have a vision or you had a dream. Being born again is a recognition of where you stand before God. I believe I'm a sinner. I believe that I deserve to go to hell. And it's faith in Jesus alone to save you. I believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. I believe that he is the son of God. I believe that he died for my sins and he rose again the third day. And I'm asking him to save me and forgive me of my sin. And I turn from my sin to Jesus. We call that repentance. It's the only way that you can be saved. If you think that you were saved when you got baptized, you have misunderstood the gospel. If you think that you've been saved because you attend church a lot, you have misunderstood the gospel. If you think that you can be good enough to go to heaven and your good works will outweigh your bads, you have misunderstood the gospel. It's by faith alone in Christ alone that you can be saved. And friend, that message is the best message anyone will ever hear. And I, I go so far as to say this, if you and I have the message of the gospel that saves mankind from their sin and from eternal damnation in hell, and we take that message and we put it in our back pocket and we never share it with anyone, I would say that that is more unloving than actually confronting someone with their need for Jesus. If I really believe that you're going to die and go to hell and I don't tell you that, that's unloving. That's unkind. To be able to say that people can sin against God and there are no consequences, that's unloving. It's unloving to tell people that their sin has no consequences. Well, bro, you do you, I'll do me. That might be right for you, but it's not right for me. Hey, you know, if you feel like you should leave your wife and, 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 and find another woman, I, just, I, I believe you just deserve to be happy. When we share that with people, that's an unloving message because it's not true. We can't say you can continue to sin against God and there will be no consequences. 
The idea that God will not judge your sin is an anti-gospel. It's the opposite of the gospel. And so again, churches who fly a pride flag out front of their church and seek to be inclusive and say, this is the way that God made you. It's okay. Uh, Everybody's welcome here just the way that you are. You don't have to change. That message is not the gospel. That message is an anti-gospel. That message doesn't save people from their sin. That message sends people to hell. And please understand that it doesn't matter what your sin is. It is enough to send you to hell. And it will be judged. It must be judged. So we can't withhold this message from people because we don't want to step on anybody's toes, because we don't want to be unkind, uh, or anything along those lines. Now, again, our message shouldn't be unkind. But the idea that in America there's two things you don't talk about, religion and politics, I can do with or without politics, really, because like, it's just a mess either way you look at it. But I I don't think that we can afford to be silent when it comes to the message of the gospel. So again, how we present that message, I believe, is really important. Do I believe that I should issue church-issued who we call a megaphones, and we should all find a corner in Waikiki uh, this Saturday night and shout people down as they walk past and tell them that they're going to burn for eternity? I don't know that that's the best method. Because I don't really see that in Scripture anywhere. They say, well, the prophets cried aloud. You're not a prophet. (laughs) You're not. I'm sorry. But you know what Jesus did? Jesus sat down with a woman in the middle of the day and says, hey, can I have a drink of water? She's like, well, who are you asking me for a drink of water? If you knew, you'd be asking me for a drink. She's like, what are you talking about? And he begins to do what? Share the truth of the gospel with her. A couple of folks sitting down having a drink of water together. I think that's a better venue for this message of love than shouting people down. I don't, I don't believe that we're going to win people to Christ by, you know, running down the streets with big signs on, on, you know, poles or pitchforks and torches, you know. I, I think the message will be won by a message of compassion and love for other people. So can we judge people's sin? Well, the Bible says that we're judged by the same standard that we expect of other people. Keep your finger here in Romans chapter 6. We're going to come back, but turn back to Matthew chapter 7 because I want you to see what Jesus said. And it's really important that we understand what Jesus said and what he meant by it. (laughs) Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1. Again, Majority of non-Christians and especially carnal Christians know two words out of this entire passage, judge not. Oh, the Bible says judge not, Christians shouldn't judge. Again, when we read the Bible, this is just really important to help you to be a better Christian. When we read the Bible, we must read all of the Bible and we must read it in context and understand what was really meant by that. You can take two words and make it say whatever you want, judge not. Okay, I guess we can't judge. But here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1. Judge not that ye be not judged. In other words, if you're going to judge, make sure that you understand that you're going to be judged as well. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured unto you again. So, if you're going to judge someone's life according to a set of rules... Understand that your life gets measured by the exact same set of rules. We don't set rules for you and then I got different rules for me. That's called hypocrisy. Rules for me, but not for thee, right? You have to do this, but I don't. That creates hypocrisy. So whatever rule you set that you're going to judge other people by, make sure that you judge yourself by the same rule. Verse number three. And why beholdest thou the mote that's a speck in your brother's eye, but considerest thou not the beam or the log that's in your own eye? How will thou say to thy brother, let me pull the mote or speck out of your eye, and behold, a log is in mine own eye? Take a look at what he says in verse number five. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote 
of that brother of thy brother's eye. Hmm. Now again, people just hear, oh, don't judge. The Bible says judge not. No. Jesus says, if you're going to judge, here's the rules that you judge by. First of all, hold yourself to the same standard that you expect of everybody else. Secondly, make sure that your life is clean and holy so that you can help other people. Now again, this is a really important distinction too. We're not judging people to shout them down, to shame them, to make them feel poorly about who they are. We're telling people what the Bible says as a way to help them to know Jesus. It's a big difference. I'm not judging people to make myself look better. I'm not judging other people to put them down or to elevate myself. I'm saying, what you're doing is wrong. Let me assist you in making things right. Again, the whole point of this, to use the word judge, is reconciliation with Christ. And that's where we miss the boat sometimes. Because we want to judge other people's sin but don't want to hold ourselves to the same standard. Oh, well, homosexual marriage is wrong. It's an abomination. It's wicked before God. These people are sinners. They're reprobates. Uh, The Bible says that they should be put to death. Okay. The Bible also says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You're You're not keeping that standard. And again, if you want to start quoting Old Testament Levitical law, let's quote all of it. We're going to say that we're going to put these people to death. Also, the people who don't keep the Sabbath are to be put to death as well. Have you ever worked on a Sunday before? And so we're going to drag you out and stone you with all the other people that you want to stone. And Jesus says, if that's the standard you want to set, that's the standard that you're going to be measured by. So be really careful with that. And again, we want to rail against the sins of other people, yet not take a look at the sins of ourselves. That's problematic, and that is hypocrisy. I just saw, I skimmed news headlines, I don't even remember who it was or what state it was or anything like that, but there was a a politician that was running on a conservative ticket against abortion in a particular state, and again, I don't have all the details on it, I just skimmed it. But then come to find out the guy's girlfriends had come forward and, and said that he had asked them to get abortions in their past and stuff like that, and it made him look like a hypocrite. You say that this is the standard that that life begins at conception, we should protect life, but you, out of your own pocket, paid for other people to snuff out a life when it wasn't convenient for you. That's hypocrisy. If this is the standard, let's hold the standard. That's all it says. That's what Jesus says. So if I'm not living by a biblical standard, it makes makes it difficult to hold others to that biblical standard. Again, if there's a line, it has to be held for everybody. We don't get to pick and choose who we're going to apply these rules to. So then, the tendency in many carnal Christians is to say, well, I'm just not going to tell people that I'm a Christian then because I'm not perfect. I mean, I'm going to mess up and you know, I don't want to ask people to do something that I'm not doing myself. And so I'm just going to kind of fly under the radar. I don't want anybody to know that I'm a Christian because otherwise people are going to expect a lot from me. Well, first of all, that's unbiblical. You never find a place in all of the scripture where someone is an undercover Christian. <laughs> Ever. I mean, you have people like in the book of Acts that were put to death because they refused to recant their faith. You have people who lost family because they refused to recant their faith. You have the church at Jerusalem, that persecution got so bad, they had to scatter and say, hey guys, we can't meet here anymore. Just go wherever you can find a place, like a cave or a field or a village, and just meet there on Sundays because we can't afford to do it here anymore. There was never undercover Christianity. Like, I don't want people to know that I'm a Christian because then they'll expect a lot from me. Here's what Jesus said. If you're a Christ follower, here's what he said. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father which is in heaven. If anything, Jesus says, take your Christianity and put it on a candlestick so that everybody can see it. You should be a bold, out there Christian as opposed to being this wimpy little undercover Christian like I don't want anybody to know because then they might judge me. Because... While no one's perfect, myself included, we should strive for righteousness. We should desire holiness. That's not a bad thing. 
And so again, here's the idea. I'm a Christian. I hold myself to a biblical standard. I will not hit it 100% of the time. And when I don't, I'm going to call myself out on it. Do you hear that? That's the difference. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 6 says this, Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because these things come with the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not therefore partakers with them. These are unsaved people. Don't be partakers with unsaved people. For ye were sometimes in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth proving what is acceptable unto the Lord to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Don't blend into the world. Stand in contrast to the world. I don't know if you've noticed this, but, but our world has become incredibly argumentative and divisive and ugly and unkind. And we castigate people that aren't exactly like us we should live in stark contrast to that, where we love everybody, where we are kind to everyone, where we show the love of Jesus to other people, and we take what Jesus said seriously, that we love God with every fiber of our being, and we love our neighbor the same way that we love ourselves. Jesus says the whole Bible could be summarized by those two commandments right there. And so we're going to be authentic, visible Christians that hold ourselves to the high standard of Scripture. And here's what's going to happen. When we fail, we're going to acknowledge our failure. I'm going to own it. And again, this is in stark contrast to our society today as well, right? Because generally now, when people fail, what do they do? They blame it on somebody else. Oh, this wouldn't happen if XYZ hadn't happened. This wasn't really my fault. I mean, I was, I was the lead on the project, but it wasn't my fault. My team failed me. Or uh, I would have happened, but all these external uh, factors came in. I wasn't able to fulfill the, the role that I had, you know. Here's the one that I love. You know, I mean, like, COVID. <laughs> COVID what? Like, I mean, you go to Starbucks, and it's like, hey, can I have three equals? And they're like, oh. And they go behind the counter and they pull out the secret drawer where all the secret equals at or Splenda. And it's like, hey, could you guys put that back on the counter? It's like, oh, we can't because of COVID. <laughs> what? But you're taking them out of the box and handing them to me with your ha- unwashed hands. And I don't understand how this, all this works. Oh, we're understaffed because of COVID. That was like three years ago at this point. Like, what are we doing now? There's always an excuse, right? Here's what Christians do, authentic Christians. When we fail, we own it. This was my fault. I fell short, and I'm going to fix it. I, I shared this in premarital counseling. Marital counseling. This is just good life advice. When you blow it, here's what you should say. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. I will change. Four statements that will change your life. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. I'll change. I shouldn't have raised my voice at you, son. I was wrong in doing that. I let my anger get the best of me. And I'd like to ask you to forgive me. I'm really going to focus on my walk with Christ and memorize some verses this week to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And I'm really sorry. I want to change. That's what we call repentance. Now, any good apology and any good repentance will always be ruined by one word. Does anybody want to guess what that word is? But... (laughs) But, I'm sorry I raised my voice, but I wouldn't have done that if you just hadn't been like on my case constantly. Yeah, I shouldn't have flipped the table over, but like that was the last straw. I mean, like what what was I supposed to do? You know, I shouldn't have raised my voice at you, but if you would clean your room up once in a while, I wouldn't have to raise my voice at you. I wouldn't have to threaten you with leaving, but you won't listen to me any other way. And then we, it's like, your apology just went down to zero. That was, that's no apology at all. That's blame shifting. And so here's what Christians do when we hold ourselves to a high standard and we fail to meet that standard. I blew it. I'm sorry. 
I was wrong 100%. Please forgive me. I'm going to change. And he said, well, I think my spouse needs to change too. Good. Then lead the way in repentance. Show them what it looks like. Because here's what I believe. If your spouse is a Christian, even if they're not, they're going to be convicted by your humility and your repentance to the point they're, they're going to desire the same thing for themselves. And here's what the Bible says. Where there's no wood, the fire goes out. Like, if I'm not shifting blame and I'm just like, hey, that was 100% me and I'm sorry. Man, my kids know this. I hate excuses. I hate excuses. Because it's just reasons why you didn't have to obey. And so, we don't give excuses to God. We don't give excuses to other people. When we fail, when we blow it, we own it. If we mess up, we fess up. Now, the problem comes. When we say we hold a high standard, we don't keep it, but then we expect everybody else to still keep it. Or we hold a high standard, we don't keep it, and then we try to put on a show to make it look like we're still keeping it. Then we run into what the Bible calls hypocrisy. Now, some people misunderstand the word hypocrisy. They think that hypocrisy means like a Christian that blows it. That's not hypocrisy. Oftentimes, in talking with people, they'll say things like, well, I'll say, hey, why don't you come visit our church? We'd love to have you any Sunday morning at 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock. We have a 5 o'clock service even if you want to come to that. And so, well, I don't go to church anymore. I don't really do organized religion because there are too many, help me, hypocrites. And if I'm feeling a little bit snarky, I'll sometimes say, well, we got room for one more. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be no problem at all to have <laughs> room for plenty of them. But the truth of the matter is, is there's some validity to that. Now, when we talk about the Bible word hypocrisy, we're talking about uh, the Bible word means to play a part, to feign or pretend. This is someone who purposely puts on a show to appear like something that they are not. That's hypocrisy. Uh, the Bible word, again, that's used literally means one who wears a mask. I know who I am, but I'm going to pretend like I'm not that person so that you'll think that I'm better than I am. Hypocrisy is the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. The practice of claiming to have higher standards or more laudable beliefs that is the case, the hiding of interior wickedness under the appearance of virtue. Again, to go back to, to the massive COVID lockdowns where you couldn't walk out of your house without a mask on and you had to wear a mask in public, you had to wear a mask outside, and you had to sit at least six feet away from everybody even though that everybody was wearing masks and uh, things along those lines. At the height of all that in California, Governor, uh, Governor Gavin Newsom got caught at this fancy French restaurant with a bunch of his friends, no masks on, everybody sitting at a table having dinner when restaurants were supposed to be closed, and everyone cried, hypocrisy. You made all these rules. You're telling everybody they got to stay home, but you're not staying home. You're telling people that they can't go to a restaurant and eat because they're going to kill their grandma, and you're sitting at a restaurant eating with people that are not part of your household. You're not six feet apart. You're not wearing a mask. This is hypocrisy. And then we get frustrated by that. Yeah, again, uh, barber shops, beauty shops were closed, but somehow Nancy Pelosi got her hairdresser to come in and fix her hair. And again, people found out and said, hypocrisy. Our own mayor, Mayor Blangiardi, when he had shut down all the restaurants here, <laughs> couldn't eat with uh, people and stuff like that, got caught on Baratania Street coming out of a restaurant with 15 other people for a birthday party. And somebody recorded it and put it on the internet. Guess what? The cry was hypocrisy. You claim to be above all this. You claim to be the one setting the example. You claim to be virtuous, yet inside you know who you really are. That is hypocrisy. And so hypocrisy is not a Christian who sins and repents. That's just average Christianity. This is normal Christianity. Hypocrisy is a Christian who sins, hides it, deceives others, all the while creating an illusion of righteousness. 
I know that I haven't been living right. I know that I haven't been walking with Jesus. I know that I'm not doing what I should be doing, but I'm going to make you think that I still am. You ask me how I'm doing, I'm going to use some really good Bible words, and I'm going to say I'm blessed and highly favored this week. Amen, brother. (laughs) Meanwhile, knowing I'm not walking with Jesus, my life is a wreck. This is someone who's purposely pretending to be something that they're not. Now, I want to pull over for just a second and help you with something. Sometimes I talk with people and say, hey, I missed you in church on Sunday. Is everything good? They say, yeah, I'm just going through a lot right now, and I just couldn't make it to church because I didn't want to be there. First of all, if you're going through a lot in life, the number one place that you need to be is in church. You don't need less church. You need more church. And, and so... Get there. It's like saying, like, I was so sick, I couldn't even go to the doctor. I was just about to die, and I couldn't bring myself to go to the hospital. No, no, no. That's exactly where you need to be. If you're going through a hard spot in life, you need to be in church with God's people 100% of the time. But then sometimes people say things, and again, it sounds uh, uh, understandable on the surface. Well, I just don't want to go to church and put on a show. I don't want to act like everything's okay when everything's not okay. And if you've been in church for any length of time, you've had those days where things are not okay. Things are a wreck. Things are really hard. But you know you need to be there so you just show up. And days like that, let me help you with something. Maybe this will take the pressure off of somebody today. When you have days like that, you don't have to put on a show. You don't have to be fake. And somebody says, hey, man, how's it going? You say, hey, man, I'm going through a lot this week. Could you just pray for me? That's it. You don't have to say, oh, man, I'm good. Thanks for asking. If you're not good, you don't have to lie. That doesn't make you a hypocrite to come to church where you need to be in here preaching from God's word and sit in a chair. That doesn't make you a hypocrite. That makes you somebody who knows what they need. When you sing praises to God that you don't feel, you're just confessing that truth is greater than your feelings. You're not being a hypocrite. It's good. It's good for you to do that. And so hip- hypocrisy comes when I know that I'm sinning against God. I know that my life is a wreck, but I want to pretend and keep up the appearance on the outside that everything is a-okay. There's a family who attended our church years ago, and again, by looking at everything on the outside, they had it all together. They were happy. They were uh, always hugging at church and friendly with people and smiling and stuff like that. And they became, began coming to church less and less and less, and as a pastor, that's always concerning when, you know, used to be here three times a week, but now you're here like three times a month. There's something going on somewhere, uh, and let me, again, I'm going to say this, that when things are, your walk with God is hot, it's vibrant, and it's on fire, you're not in church less, you're in church more. It just goes like that, and so their, their attendance is slipping, out. hey, what's going on? Oh, we're just busy with this, that, and the other going on, and finally, they, they stopped coming to church altogether, and and my wife and I were talking to their daughter and said, hey, what happened? And she said, you know, just at church it was all smiles and happy, but when we got in the car, all the smiles went away. And they never came back until the next time we showed up to church, and it was all smiles again. And it hurt my heart to hear that because that is a textbook definition of hypocrisy. Look, again, nobody's asking you to be something that you're not. Nobody wants you to be anything that you're not. If you're pretending or you're putting on a show to try to hide who you are, God's not impressed with that. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you may clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within they're full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse thou first that which is in the cup and the platter, the outside may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you like whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but inward are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. It's like, he says, on the outside, everything is beautiful, everything's perfect, but inside it's just rotten to the core. We had, uh, had, had just started uh, who we call it back in 2013, and you know, we gone to, to the store and got a bunch of stuff, and we gone to Home Depot and got the orange Home Depot bucket, you know. Because, uh, like, you need a five-gallon bucket for projects, and worst-case scenario, you haul your stuff around in it. And so we had this gorgeous, clean, brand-spanking-new Home Depot bucket that we put 
out in the atrium. At the time, it was an alley, uh, but Batman's parents got murdered in an alley, so now it's an atrium. And so <laughs> atrium sounds a lot more happy, right? And so at the time, it was an alley, though. It was a place where Batman's parents would have gotten murdered. Uh, so, but we had this beautiful Home Depot bucket, and, um, and I asked my wife, I said, hey, go grab that Home Depot bucket and, and bring it over here. I got some stuff I need to put in it. And she went to grab it, and she went, like that. I go, what? And she was just like, I can't. And I was just like, what happened? She was like, I can't. And I go, I don't even know what that means. I was like, fine, I'll go get the bucket. And I go and grab it, and someone at some point couldn't find a bathroom. So they commandeered my brand new orange home, brand new Home Depot bucket. And I was just like, are you kidding me? And like, what do you do? Like, you wash that out and then put your stuff in it? Like, <laughs> if you're with me, you're like, uh-uh. Like, I don't care how many times you wash that, that's not coming out, right? Oh, disgusting. I was going somewhere with that story. <laughs> oh, yeah. Clean on the outside, dirty on the inside. I, I knew there was an application there. I just had to look for it. <laughs> That's what he means by hypocrisy. Looks great on the outside. Inside, it's filthy. It's repugnant. It's nasty. And here's the part about hypocrisy. Turn back to Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Romans chapter uh, 2 if, you, if you've turned away. Take a look at verse number 24 and see what it says here. He talks about hypocrisy in the previous three verses, and here's what he says. For the name of God, verse 24, is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it's written. You see, hypocrisy is repulsive because it pushes people away from Christianity. This is where we come down to the hard part of today's message. If you're a hypocrite and you know it, first of all, know this. You're hurting the cause of Christ. There's folks in our church who are married to unbelievers. If there's a shred of hypocrisy in your life, know this, your unbelieving spouse sees that, and it's pushing them further away from Christianity. Now, again, you might say, well, I'm not perfect. I know. When you mess up, you fess up. You own it. You repent. That's what we do. But Peter says if a wife has an unbelieving husband, that she should live her life to a higher level so that he can be one to Christ by the way that she lives her life. That our testimony will either draw people to, re to Christ or repel people from Christ. And hypocrisy always repels. Why in the world would we want to follow Jesus? All those people are is a bunch of miserable, hateful, ugly bigots. Why would I want to go to your church? I mean, you cuss up a storm, you gossip about everybody in the office, you had sex with one of our coworkers on your last TDY, why, tell me again why I would want to be a Christian? Like, I don't live as filthy as you. Hypocrisy repels people from Christ. It's repulsive. And it hurts the cause of Christ. You can't afford it. You're saying, well, are you saying if I'm a Christian, I should be on the top of my game 24-7? Absolutely, 100% of the time. Get this, being an authentic Christian, you don't get to take a day off from that. It's not like, oh, I'll be a Christian on Sundays. Yeah, that's hypocrisy. It isn't like, oh, I'll be a Christian most of the time. No, that's hypocrisy. Either you're going to hold yourself to a standard or you're not. And if you're not going to hold yourself to the standard, just stop calling yourself a Christian because you're hurting the cause of Christ. Even worse, hypocrisy not just makes you look bad, but it makes God look bad. And think about this. God is so good. So good, it takes a lot to make him look bad. But when you're a hypocrite, that's precisely what it does. Again, verse number 24, the name of God is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles because of the way that you live. I taught my boys especially that the name King means something. My girls will get married one day when they're like 60 and they'll take on another guy's name. But like I, I always taught my boys, the name King means something. My dad taught me that as a kid. King means you're, you have character, you have integrity, you're the hardest worker in the room and you always do what you say. That's what being a king means. I've kind of instilled that in my boys. Your name means something. 
the name of God means something. It means you walk in integrity. It means that you have character. It means you're the hardest worker in the room and you always do what you say. And when you don't, you make a mockery of the name that you claim. And you just make him look bad. People are like, oh, God, yeah, no thanks. Mahatma Gandhi was interviewed by a journalist one time. He says he likes the teachings of Christ. He just doesn't care much for the people who claim to be Christ's followers because he doesn't see a lot of Christianity in their lifestyle. Hey, I like the idea of God, but Christianity is a joke because they don't actually practice what they preach. There's that disconnect in what they say they believe in the way that they live, and that's just a gap too far to, to bridge. And so hypocrisy hurts the name of God. Isaiah chapter 52, verse number 5, Now therefore, what have I here, saith the Lord, that my people is taken away for naught? Mind you, Jeremiah told the children of Israel, you're going to be taken into slavery if you don't repent. And God says, you got to repent or you're going to go into slavery. And they didn't. They were captured by the Babylonians. They went into Babylonian captivity. They were in slavery in Babylon. And Isaiah is just like, you didn't learn your lesson. You're in slavery and you're still sinning against God. And God says here, you've been taken away for naught. It didn't do any good. They that rule over them make them to howl, saith the Lord. And my name is continually, every day is blasphemed. Like, you're the children of God and you're, causing the people who took you into slavery to mock my name. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse number 20, and when they entered in with the heathen, whither they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said to them, these are the people of the Lord and are gone forth out of the land. But I had pity for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, whither they went. They went out into the heathen people and made a mockery of my name. And you say, those wicked children of Israel. There's a parallel of Christianity where Christians go out and live like the world and make God's name look really bad. Look, I grew up in a church where the kids in our youth group were no different than the kids in the public school that I went to. They went to the same parties, smoked the same dope, had sex with the same people got drunk at the same parties. There's no differentiation in Christianity at all. And you know what I realized as a 16-year-old kid? Christianity's a joke. It's all fake. Nobody really believes this stuff anyways. And as a 16-year-old boy, again, I'm so smart and so wise in the things of the world, and I'm so much better than everybody else. I, I came to this conclusion that Religion's just a bunch of made-up rules to control people, make them do what you want them to do because nobody really believes this stuff anyways. And you know what made all the difference in the world? When Angela and I got into a Bible-preaching church that really believed the Bible. And they said, hey, we don't watch R-rated movies in our home because we're not gonna put wickedness before our eyes. And I was just like, what? Yeah, we don't use foul language in our home like ever and Christians shouldn't curse because the Bible says that our speech should be different than that of the unsaved man and I was just like I was like elbowing my wife going like I think these people really believe the Bible and I was just like hey whatever these guys are this is what I am like I believe this book cover to cover and I didn't know there were people who really believed it because all the Christians I'd ever met were a bunch of phonies who claim one thing on Sunday and live for the world for the rest of six days of the week. But that just makes God look bad. So three final thoughts of this and we're done, but this is where the rubber meets the road. If you call yourself a Christian, live like it. You're going to claim the name of Christ, then be a Christ follower. If you want to say you believe the Bible, live by it. You don't get to take days off. You don't get to have your fun. You just obey God's word 100% of the time. You know why? Because if you let your light shine before men and they see your good deeds, they'll glorify your Father which is in heaven. This is not about making you look good. It's about making God look good. This is not about drawing people to you. It's about drawing people to Jesus. 
If you're a Christian, live like it. But let me just say this. If you choose to live a life of sin, don't tell other people that you're a Christian. That just hurts the name of real Christ followers. Look, if you don't want to follow the Bible, that's fine. Just don't call yourself a Christian. Because it hurts the rest of us who really want to live for Jesus. Oh, you're one of those Christians. Well, no, not really. Look, if you want to make your browser explode sometime, type in two words, pastor and scandal, scandal in a Google search engine, and your browser will explode. And you'll realize that according to everything you read on the internet, pastors are untrustworthy, they're liars, they're uh, manipulators of finance, they're hooking up with all kinds of women, and they're addicted to pornography, and pastors just can't be trusted. And so for all those guys who do live a lifestyle like that, hey, resign before you bring shame on the name of Christ. Get out of here with that nonsense. You say, yeah, pastors are a, a bad pack of dudes. <laughs> Christians can sometimes be a bad pack of dudes. And if you're going to claim the name of Christ, live like it. Hey, look. If you're going to put a, a, a hooey call a sticker on your hydro flask and take it to work, don't be sitting around cussing and running down everybody in the office. Don't do it. Like, like peel it off and give it back. Look, if you're going to put a hooey call a sticker on the back of your car, don't be driving 70 miles an hour down the freeway, weaving in and out of traffic, bumping filthy garbage rap music. Don't do it. I'll give you a Jehovah's Witness sticker to put on the back, right? <laughs> that way people know that you're a, a pagan. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't call yourself a Christian if you're not willing to live up to what that means. Because you make Christians look bad and you make God look bad. Final thought. How do we resolve hypocrisy? Maybe you're looking at this saying, I'm a hypocrite. I've been living in a, as a hypocrite. How do I fix it? One word, repentance. You can fix it. You can turn it around anytime you want to. All you have to do is repent. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It would have been... 2000 time frame, my wife and I had really begun, begun to get serious about walking with Jesus. We got plugged into a Bible preaching church and we really wanted to turn our life around and become true Christ followers. I got saved when I was nine, she got saved when she was 13, but neither of us had, had lived a life of Christ followers. And so we were really trying to turn the ship around. And so I'd been in the Navy for five years at that point and, and I had a reputation for having a foul mouth. Um, you know, I, I grew up in uh, public school, rode the bus to school. I learned how to use all the cuss words when I was in second grade and uh, joined the military where everybody, that's just part of the vernacular. If you really want to make a point, you have to use curse words to do it and you have to raise your voice and pound on stuff. If you pound on stuff, raise your voice and use curse words, people know that you mean business. And so that's just kind of what we did. But then I realized that's not how Christ's followers live. And so some things need to change. And I realize if Easter Sunday rolls around and I start passing on invitations to church in my office, people are going to be like, Wait, you go to church? Like, really? Like, it would have been hypocrisy. So here's what I did, no lie. There was about six people or so that worked in my office uh, that I was in. I went around to them one by one and said, hey, can I take like 30 seconds with you? I just got to tell you something really quick. Hey, I just want to let you know that I'm a Christian. I haven't been living like it, and I want to turn my life around, and I want to apologize for the way that I've been behaving. I'd like to ask you to forgive me. Five out of six of those, it was a really awkward conversation where people were like, hey, <laughs> yeah, that's fine, dude. Like, uh, you do you, whatever. No, I want you to know that I'm sorry, and I'd like to ask you to forgive me. Yeah, that, yeah that's, that's cool, man, whatever. Yeah, sure. And then there was one guy who says, hey, I'm a Christian too, and I haven't been living like it either, and, and that's an encouragement to me, and I, I want to change my life too. Good. But here's the thing. You know what that did? That gave me a clean slate going forward. And you said, well, now everybody's watching to see if you slip up. I know. Absolutely. You know what that's called? Accountability. It's not a bad thing. 
And if I blow it, you know what I can do? Fess up when you mess up. Hey, I shouldn't have said that, guys. I'm sorry. Um, that's the old me talking. I don't want to be that way anymore. And I had a fresh start going forward. And I wish I could tell you that all six of those people got saved and they're still serving Jesus today. I don't know what happened with them, but let me just tell you this. I know what happened with me when I stopped living a duplicitous life, when I stopped living a life of hypocrisy. Because the Bible says this, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Hey, if you're straddling the fence of walking with Jesus and not walking with Jesus, your life's probably a wreck. So, really easy, fix it. Maybe you're here today and you say, I don't, I don't know if I can fix it because I don't even know for sure that I'm saved. That's step one. Put your faith in Jesus and become a child of God. But majority of people in this room, I know your story of how you came to faith in Christ. Now is your opportunity to fix it. Now is your opportunity to say, hey, I just want to be the real deal from here on out. I don't want the cause of Christ to be hurt because of me. I don't want God's name to be blasphemed because of me. I want Christ to be, get this, magnified by the way that I live my life. Let's do that this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m.